Today we continue in our parables series. It's been a wonderful series. It's the Lord has prepared to feed us with story. And it's a powerful thing. Um, and so today as we uh, enter into the story of the great banquet found in Luke 14, I want to read a, a scripture from Hebrews and then tell you about my friend Ray. So here's the, here's the verse from Hebrews 13 two. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And I want to substitute that last, that last part. I want to say it this way. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have been in the presence of the kingdom of God without knowing it. So I have a friend. Uh, his name is Ray. He's, he's my neighbor across the street. Uh, Ray has this white Subaru with a camper on top, and he lives in kind of like a basement studio in a triplex in a house across the street. And uh, it, he shares it with a roommate, and they're both in recovery, and they support each other. Well, as you might imagine, there is not much privacy in a studio apartment with a roommate. So Ray, multiple times a day, he'll come out to his car, he'll turn it on, and he'll put on music and listen super loud, like super loud. I think he's got uh, you know, hearing loss or something because it's like bumping. And so um, uh, probably a year and a half ago now, uh, I didn't know who Ray was. He just started coming out to his car and listening to music. So one day I go and I kind of wave at him, and he rolls down his window, and we just start talking together. I learned that Ray, uh, Ray is probably mid-70s now, but Ray, for a big portion of his life, was in the Peace Corps. And so he went to all kinds of countries where we had conflict, and he would go and try and care for and assist those for whom the conflict impacted. And what Ray laments the most, the, the, he says the thing that he sees when he goes to sleep at night is the faces of the people that he could not save. He hears the voices of the people that were calling out for help that he couldn't help. In the course of conversation, as it always does, Ray says, what do you do? And I'm always like, should I lie or tell them the truth? And so I'm like, hey, I'm a pastor. And he says, ah, I, uh, I have a problem with the church. And we've been friends ever since. And it's been, it's been good. And uh, Ray, uh, on Thanksgiving last year, I went out, Ray was sitting in his car. And so I went out to him and said, Ray, would you come in for Thanksgiving dinner? He wasn't with anybody. He was just by himself in his car. And for a variety of reasons, you know, he declines, and he's very humble about it. So I went back in the house, and I made Ray a plate, and I brought it out to him and served him in his car, and he received it. I was very, I was thankful that he was willing to receive that meal. You know, the, the, the sad truth is, is that me serving Ray in that car could honestly be any one of us here. Did you know that the most common meal that Americans eat is one alone in their car? Mealtime in America is so perfunctory, so utilitarian, that the most common experience of us eating it is alone in our cars. The meal is just a thing or a what in our experience, so eating alone is kind of a, just a norm that we accept. 
But when we eat alone, no one feasts, no one shares, and nobody is blessed. We are simply alone. Can anyone relate to this, you know? It's, it's really hard, it's really hard to get that fast food smell out of your car, you know? You're always found out, right? <laughs> but here's the good news. Jesus can take a meal that's served alone to us in our car and seed a desire in us to feast with others. Jesus has set a great banquet for us in heaven. And he, sets, he sends to us from heaven to earth many opportunities for us to experience that great banquet when we feast with others. But for us to receive the kingdom of God through feasting, we must allow Jesus to, to shift, to make a shift in our hearts about what the nature of a meal really is. For from moving us from a feast as a what, or a thing, or an event, moving from a what to a feast as a who. Jesus gives us a look uh, at this shift from what to who when he starts to talk about the Sabbath. You know, and as Christians, we might take it for granted that this understanding that Sabbath isn't a day, Sabbath is a person. Sabbath is Jesus Christ. If we want true rest, we enter into Jesus. But for the Pharisees, who Jesus was having a Sabbath dinner party with in Luke 14, where we're at, this move from what to who is not, it wasn't so easy to make. And Jesus doesn't make it easy on them for un to understand. So I didn't, I didn't, I'm going to read our scripture here in a little bit, but I'm just giving you a little context. Jesus is at a dinner party in our chapter, and he's having dinner at a Pharisee's house. And he starts going on and on about a bunch of things, and one of those being about Sabbath. And so while he's sitting there talking about Sabbath, he sees a man who is sick. He has an ailment. And so Jesus poses the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You know, the Sabbath is a day of rest. You're not supposed to do any work. But Jesus poses the question, can you do the work of saving and healing on the Sabbath? Just putting in the question, what is the Sabbath for? And so Jesus, in his own way, he cures the man right there in front of them on the Sabbath. It is work, but it's the work of salvation and salvation that only God can do. And in that moment, Jesus demonstrates to the Pharisee and all at the party that the Sabbath is not a day or a what, it's a who. It's Jesus Christ. And while they're still dumbstruck and reeling about that, Jesus goes right into another topic. He goes into dinner parties. It's so Martha Stewart of him. And he says this. Here's our scripture on the screen. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, 
your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors, if you do, they might invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus loves these dinner parties. He he loves them. But what what he talks about here, you can see that he loves the guests even more. He loves the guests so much. Sorry, sorry. It's like, better, better. He loves the guests so much that he says the most important thing about the dinner party is the invitation. He actually uses two different words for invite here. So the first one in verse 12, when he's talking about don't invite your friends and your family, what he says there, the word he uses is phoneo. It's where we get the word phone from. And what it's, the, the, the word is suggesting that you call people to yourself, that in a sense, you're so important, you just call them and they come. So it's, an, it's a very uh, informal invitation, but more than that, it's, it's kind of a self-centered invitation. I have something you want and you need, so come to me. But then in verse 13, when he says, uh, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and the blind, he uses this other word for invite. It's kaleo. And it's a word that suggests that you go and you call someone by name. You go to them and you call them by name to come. So you call the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind by name to come to your feast. It's a, this kind of invitation is not about a transaction. It's not about self-centeredness. It's an invitation to connect. It's an invitation to be known. It's an invitation to bless. For hospitality can lead to life and to healing. This is how Mephibosheth in the Old Testament was invited to King David's table. This is in 2 Samuel 9. So after King Saul, his son Jonathan, and all of his household are killed in a war with the Philistines, David finally becomes king. And one of the first things David does is he seeks out any remaining members of Saul's household so he can bless them. He wants to show God's kindness to whoever's left in Saul's household. This is Kaleo. So what David does is he hears about Mephibosheth. And so what David does is he sends a servant to go to Mephibosheth and bring him to the king's table so that he can show him God's kindness. This is, the, this is the embodiment of Kaleo right here. But David goes further. Because the scripture says that, it says twice in this chapter, it really makes the point, Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. He could not walk. And so when David, knowing this, goes and makes the invitation to Mephibosheth, it says that he wants Mephibosheth brought to him. And there's a word, the Hebrew word here is lakach, lakach. And it means to carry along with oneself. So David sends his servant and he says, 
when you give this invitation to Mephibosheth, if he receives it, I want you to carry him to my table. And so Mephibosheth, once at the table, he eats there like one of the king's sons for the rest of his life. So now back at the dinner party with Jesus, one of the guests resonates with this whole idea of kaleo, go call by name and invite back. And he makes this declaration, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the one who God calls by name to his banquet table, kaleo. The guest is declaring a common understanding of the great banquet in heaven we see in Isaiah 25, 6. And it says this, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. In Hebrew, that, that word banquet, it means fat things full of marrow. Isn't that amazing? Fat things full of marrow. And that phrase, banquet of aged wines, it, it's referring to uh, grapes that get to fully ripen on the vine, harvested, and then they get to clarify in casks, the best kind of wine. This is a description of the most exquisite banquet in Eastern culture. And to this declaration, Jesus launches into his final parable of the evening. We begin here. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. What's interesting here is that this is the original save the date, okay? The host, it says this, the host has sent the servant to tell those who have been invited that it's time. So what, what it's saying is that the, the host sent his servant one time to kaleo the guests on the guest list. He sends a save the date, right? And presumably, they accept it and they put it on their calendars because now the servant is being sent to them another time, in a sense, the invitation to tell them it is the appointed time of the feast. Come. So that the host has sent to save the date. He's sent an invitation, but they reject. And if you're wondering, yes, the excuses are totally lame. Check it out. Who buys land sight unseen? A fool, right? Who buys an uneven, an uneven number of oxen when the oxen are always yoked together to pull the plow, right? So buying five, it's an excuse. What young couple, what young married couple isn't interested in a free party with free food to fill their bellies, right? No one's saying no to that party. It's really interesting. So not only are the excuses lame, right, but they're all focused on acquisition and status, right? So land, oxen, a wife in that time were all things to be acquired to lift somebody's status in society. So by using these excuses, they're saying that the banquet 
and even the host himself is of no greater value to them than the, their current possessions and the status that they have. In essence, these people are eating alone in their cars, right? They miss the hidden reality found between food, the connection, this connection between food and being in the flesh together. For feasting is not just about nourishment, it's about connection. It's not just about satiation, it's about seeing one another. It's like when my wife breastfeeds our five-year-old baby, Elliot. When Elliot eats, she looks up at mommy the whole time. She wants that eye contact. Five months. What did I say? Oh my gosh. Time flies, right? Time really flies. And if you're breastfeeding at five, I mean, I don't want to judge, right? Wow. Yeah, she's only five months old. Um, but yeah, when she, when she eats, she, she wants to look at mom. She wants to look and have that eye contact. I mean, she'll take a bottle, but she'll take a bottle from me, but she's, she's not as interested in it. What she's looking for, what she wants, is that connection with her mom when she's eating and she's, she's being nourished. And this is how Jesus comes to us in the flesh and nourishes us like infants from his side on the cross. He came to us and he calls us by name and he invites us to join in the heavenly banquet. Are you poor in spirit today? Are you hiding hurt from those around you? Do you not feel seen by your community or even by your God? If this is you today, then this table, this table is for you. Today, when communion is offered to you, receive it with joy, but for, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is able to bring you into the kingdom of God. No one through their efforts can, can make the kingdom of God come. Scripture says it can only either be received or entered into. That's how Jesus describes it. He never puts the mantle on us that our efforts will bring the kingdom of God. We just have the choice to receive and enter. So if you find yourself ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would invite you to receive communion in that way. Receiving Jesus into your heart and letting him take you into the feast in the kingdom. I would invite you to, to pray with our prayer ministers who will come up at the end of the service. But here, here's the thing. There's more for us, friends. There's more. When Jesus invites us to the great banquet, it's not just to be a guest. It's also to be a host. It's not just an invitation to salvation, it's an invitation to be a missionary. And Jesus makes that invitation to mission in, in only the way that Jesus can. He throws the, he throws the people at the, the dinner party this real curveball in the parable. It's just so masterful. Okay, track with me here. It, I'm sorry if I'm getting too excited about it. These kinds of things are just so amazing. Okay, so Jesus just tells the people at the party, he says, do not 
invite your guests with phaneo, right? Don't have a self-centered invitation. Don't call them to come to you because you're so important. Don't do that. What you should do instead is kaleo your guests. Invite them with kaleo. Go to them because they're so important and call them by name to, your, to this table of blessing you have for them. So he tells the parable. He starts in and tells the parable, and he says that the host in the parable kaleoed his guests. He did all the right things, right? He sent to save the date. He's, he invited them with kaleo and called them by name. And then what did they do? They reject the invitation. And this is where the masterful part of what Jesus has done. He has posed this question. What happens when those you invite and you honor by name dishonor you back? What happens when they reject your invitation? What happens when your own turn their backs on you? Well, he shows us that you don't retaliate. You don't shame. You don't reject back those who have dishonored you. And at the same time, you don't change your plans to host a feast. You simply go to those who have no honor left and are just hungry. He says here, in our last portion of the parable, the servant came back and reported this to his master, all their excuses. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. The master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Do you see? The dinner is just that. It's just a dinner. It's a what? But the guests, the guests themselves are the true banquet. The great banquet is not a what, it's a who. It is the people who are the feast and who can bring the kingdom of God with them to your table. This is the reason the host is angry. Because the initial guests he invited, this is how he saw them. A beautiful banquet of people who, when brought together and blessed with a feast, would be themselves the banquet of God. He's angry because they will not choose to accept the invitation. They will not receive. And they will not come and feast at his table. So he's not barring them. He's not rejecting them. He's just angry and sad that they will not make the choice to accept the invitation. They were too focused on themselves and their possessions to recognize that the meal was more than just food and status. It was salvation and belonging. And it's not surprising that those whom the host ultimately goes and brings into his home, the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame, for these society has stripped of their honor and so they beg and are hungry. And because they are hungry, they are apt and ready for the feast the host has prepared. 
but they are also hungry to be seen and known by the host. And I actually think that's the driver, not their hunger, but their hunger here. It is these, the poor for whom God has a preferential love and the kingdom of God is with them. When we host the poor and the poor in spirits at our tables, all feast, all share, all are blessed to enter into the great banquet of the kingdom of God. When we host the poor at our tables, we get to be the guests of the great banquet. Do you see that? At first, we're, we're hosting food, and our friends will come. And at that point, we no longer are the host anymore. We're the guest, because they are serving them, us, the great banquet of themselves. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have been in the presence of the kingdom of God without knowing it. This is what David learned when he brought Mephibosheth to his home. David set the table, but Mephibosheth brought the banquet. Friends, I tell you, you do not need any special training or resources to host the unlovely people in your lives. All you need are the Holy Spirit given to you by Jesus Christ. Eyes to see, a mouth to speak, hands to touch, and a table, an open table to invite those to. Every unlovely person deserves a look, a word, a touch, and an invitation. One or all of these you can give to people who are put into, God puts in your path, in your life. A look, a touch, a word, an invitation. You will never feel ready to do this, so don't wait for some specific invitation. You just need to be willing to be obedient to the command that this parable summarizes in all of scripture. Go to the poor. It's not a spiritual reality as much as it's a command for us to experience the goodness of God. Don't let the lack of a personal invitation keep you from getting on mission for Christ. The unlovely people of this world will always be among us, and your table is available many more times a week than this Sunday service. And I tell you, as many lives have been transformed at the dinner table than the altar rail, because Jesus Christ is no longer confined to the temple, but lives in your example. If you will go to the unlovely, invite them to eat with you, then Jesus will be faithful to bring heaven on earth in your midst. You could be eating fast food in your car, but if you're doing it together, host, guest, guest, host, then you will eat with the angels of heaven singing around you, glory, 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 God Almighty, for heaven has come to earth. Ray, two weeks ago, my family was at Lowell Park in Everett, and we're packing up and getting ready to go, and Ray pulls up in his white Subaru. And so we see each other, and he comes over, and 
We're chit-chatting, and uh, I'm just happy to see him, giving him a smile. And he says to me, thank you for giving me your smile. I appreciate that you talked with me, and I feel like you don't want anything from me but my conversation and to get to know me. And I said, thank you. And I said, Ray, what, what are you doing here at Lowell? And he said, well, I've joined Vision Church in downtown Everett, and uh, they're having a barbecue today. And you know, Ray is dressed up. Ray is not usually dressed up. He was like pressed shirt and nice shoes, and he was ready to go. And, I, and so he said, yeah, I'm here, I'm here for the barbecue. Uh, and just going to try it out. And I was, and so I, I watched him go, go over to the park, and I was grateful and thankful that he had opted to choose to, to try the church out again, to, to enter in and see what it could be like this time around. But I was also thankful that the, the church had set a table. They had made an invitation. Come and eat. But what they didn't know was that Ray walking into that barbecue was bringing the great banquet of the Lord and the kingdom of God with them. And they were all blessed to have Ray in his presence there. We're going to receive communion today. And the beautiful part about the table is that this is how we set it. We set it with our perhaps childish expectations. Uh, and set it with what we believe should, should happen or how it should go or who it should be there. And the Lord doesn't clear the table. He actually works with us. And he uses our childlike expectations to reset the table in our presence. And so he brings his body. And he brings his blood. And he allows us to have our understanding of what it means to be, to eat in the flesh, redefined. So may this, this time be a redefinition for us, not just a feeding for our souls, but a commissioning for us to be missionaries to bring others to Christ's table. On this, on Jesus' final night, he was with his disciples at the Passover meal where they celebrated that the angel of death passed over the Hebrews in Egypt and would allow them to be free. And so he takes the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of it, remember me. So let us take our breads and remember Jesus' body broken for us. And in like manner, he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this is my blood shed for you, my blood of the new covenant. And as often as you drink of it, remember me. So let us receive the blood of Christ shed for us. And as often as we 
eat this bread and drink this cup. We proclaim Jesus' work on the cross, Jesus' overcoming death, Jesus sending his spirit into us and upon us so that we not only get to enjoy God, but we may enjoy God with others and continue to receive this feast, which is in the unlovely people of this world. So if you want to eat of Jesus often and regularly, go to those who are on the margins. Go to the poor and the crippled and the lame. Go to the fatherless. Go to them and host them at a table in any way you can and eat with them so you may eat of the banquet in the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's stand and worship our Lord.